We're going to be talking about generosity today. And we are going to be finding that generosity in Genesis chapter 14. Okay? So when we are walking through life's insurrections, it is important to turn to Jesus for our protection and direction so we can reach our destination. That is our theme today when it comes to generosity. What's that have to do with generosity? Well, we're going to find out. So I'm going to summarize verses 1 through 7 because you, they kind of repeat themselves in verse 8 and 9. And so I'm going to just let you know that there are four kings that are stronger and mightier than the five kings. Lot happens to be a part of the five kings and um, they decide to rebel against the four kings who have been oppressing them and it doesn't work out so well for them. We're going to find that out in verse 8 when we pick that up. But what do we know of the five kings in the valley that they are in? Well, most of, well, most of them, two of them for sure, Sodom and Gomorrah are in there, that valley. Um, they are wicked and they lead a wicked people. And they're not just wicked in a way that they're wicked and that's the way they grew up. They're wicked in a way that they knew what was right and they ignore it. I thought that was interesting in the commentary that I saw. They knew what was right, and they chose to ignore it. And who would I, where would I put that in the grand scheme of things? I would put that in the first generation that falls away from the Lord. They know what's right, but they choose to ignore that. I'm reading through uh, 2 Kings. You see a lot of people falling away from the Lord in 2 Kings. And the person that falls away first usually is the king, and then the kingdom follows in his footsteps. And it follows that way because when you get there, you see, oh, yeah, that's the way the Lord wants us to do it, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to worship what I want to worship, and then the people follow. And then, peop- then generally speaking, in the Judah kingdom, there's a good king, bad king, and it goes like that for a long time until it hits a couple of bad kings in a row, and God wipes them out with... Um, Babylon comes in with Nebuchadnezzar. So knowing these things, let's pick it up in verse 8. It says, The rebellion, rebel kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, Edomah and Zeboim and Bela, also called Zaar, prepared the, to battle the valley of the Dead Sea. They fought against King Kedorlamor of Elam and King Tidel of Goyim, King Araphel of Babylonia, and it may be say something different in there, but that's the region that it sends, Babylonia, and King um, Eric of Eleazar, four kings against five. As it happened, the valley of the Dead Sea was filled with tar pits, and as the army of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell in the tar pits while the rest escaped into the mountains. The victorious Invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, taking with them all the spoils of war and the food supplies. They also captured Lot, Abraham's nephew, who lived in Sodom, and carried off everything he owned. But one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abraham, Abram the Hebrew, who was living near the oak grove belonging to Mamre the Amorite. Mamre and his relatives, Eshkol and Aner, were Abraham's allies. 
Okay? So remember what we learned about Lot last week, right? He kind of was starting to go his own way. He chose his own thing. God saw what Abram was going to do, and he blessed him, and he watched over Abram. And that continues on, and it continues on with Lot. He moves away from Abram, and he goes a little bit closer, and pretty soon you find him in Sodom. He's living right amongst these people that are wicked. And from that, we get our first point, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company will always corrupt good character. They say when you are trying to help somebody out, it is easy for them, easier for them to pull you down than for you to lift them up, right? Uh, it has been that way. I don't think it's un, by coincidence that it's set up that way as well in life and spiritually and physically. So conflicts interrupt life, don't they? Conflicts interrupt life. And it affects more lives than the parties involved. So if two people aren't talking, it doesn't just affect those two people, it affects those people around them. Pretty soon you're using somebody else to communicate to that person and things. You've all seen the, well, tell so-and-so that I'm not talking to them uh, kind of attitude, and that just continues on, and it just doesn't work out well. In our lives, marriage, when we have a conflict with our spouse, we avoid them. We avoid the room that they're in. We may sleep on the couch sometimes. We may be told that we're sleeping on the couch sometimes. Right? Um, in work, if you don't get along with somebody at work, it slows production down. Uh, it puts a strain on that relationship, and it, it becomes very difficult to work with that person or in that situation or in a situation with that person. And sometimes you can't help it. You've got to work with that person. But here we find ourselves in war. And wars, they divide. For those that are in the peace, it raises prices. It creates supply demands, and it hurts the economy. For those in the conflict, they see death on a major scale. They're never going to be the same people after uh, they've gone through war. They harden people to hate and revenge. They destroy innocence. And they create divisions in class, in race, and in gender. They destroy many things that the church is trying to build up, right, in peacetimes. And in this case, the conflict is war, and we find Abram's nephew right in the middle of it. Now, if I were to hear the story from a neighbor down the street, I might be tempted to say, well, I hope it works out for him. I hope they get... I hope they get back. You know, I, I know they were captive, but, you know, they were right in there with it. I hope they get back. I hope they do well. And I'm sure Abram, I'm sure Abram will come up with a solution. You know, he's his uncle. He'll, he'll bail him out like he's done before. He'll do it again. And to some extent, this is correct. To some extent, we do, they do need to work out some of their problems. They do need to go to their family first. But there's to some extent, when they don't have family and they don't have somebody to help them out, that we need to come in as a church and help them. Because the Lord calls us to take care of those that are less fortunate than us, right? 
And it's like this. It's kind of like they jump out of a plane without a parachute. And you're standing there at the door, and you're kind of like, yeah, that was really stupid. You know, they've never even been up in an airplane. Now they're, they're jumping out of an airplane. They're flopping around. They don't do that nice little TV uh, floating like a, a squirrel thing. They're flopping around, up and down, around. They don't know how to do this before, and they're out of control. We don't know how they're going to land. And we're standing there with our parachute on, ready to go, because that's what we came up here to do. And we're holding an extra parachute. Well, do we go after them? It puts us at risk, doesn't it? We might not make it, trying to calm them down and get them into the right way and parachute. They might not even be conscious by the time you reach them. We're in a tight spot, and they put us in a tight spot too, right? But we're called to go. We're called to go in faith, and we're called to be trust and obey, and there's no other way. So we jump. And sometimes we have to jump after them, right? At White Rose, we jump when we're... When we jump, we try to give a hand up, not a hand out, right? We try to make sure we're giving to people that are going to make the most of it and, and walk out of the situation. That doesn't always happen, but that's not on us, is it? We are called to give. How they receive it is between them and the Lord, Okay, that's hard to remember sometimes. I even hear that from other people in the community about our food pantry. They say, well, they're just abusing that. They're just taking advantage of you. That's not our, that's not our call. We're called to give. It's between them and the Lord on how they receive it and what they do with the food that they receive. Right? We do not judge there. We're not called to judge it's between them and the Lord. We let it go. And I trust that the Lord will take care of their heart down the road, right? So as we have the resources to help, we point to Jesus, right? We get this principle from Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through the first part of verse 3. It says, We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about these things. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord, even for even Christ didn't live to please himself. What happens if we stop giving? What happens if we stop giving at the food pantry? It gives permission for the community to stop giving as well. What's the problem with giving at the food pantry, according to some in the community? It convicts them to have to give too. Oh, my. And when you hear somebody going, well, I don't know. I just don't know. That is the opposite of generosity. They are not giving with a joyful heart. They are not giving with a joyful spirit. And there's trouble in that. So if somebody's ever coming to you saying, oh, they're just taking advantage of you anyway, you should smile and say, but I'm setting an example for you, aren't I? Right? And you don't have to say that out loud because they are already, they already know. They already know. But you just smile and say, well, that's what the Lord's called us to do. That's what we're going to keep on doing. 
Amen? So here we find Lot has moved into Sodom with these wicked people. What do you think this is going to do for his relationship with the Lord? How do you think it's going to affect his relationship with the Lord? Do you think it just like went up to 2.0? No, I think it just crashed. The system crashed if we were going computer terms right there. How is it going to affect his character? Is he going to do better? Is he going to walk closer? Is he going to see this guy shine because he's in a dark place? No, he went in there by himself. He's not going to shine. You know, if you're going to go into the mission field, you should go in twos, right? The Lord sent his disciples out in twos. We should go out there in twos as well. Bad company affects good character. And Lot is in trouble in more ways than one, and sometimes he doesn't even realize it. I'm sure he doesn't see the whole picture. But that comes to the same in our lives. We can pat ourselves on the back for, well, we got the food pantry. Or, well, we give to, uh, as Craig likes to say, we give to Jerry's kids. But today it's, we give to St. Jude. And look, what, uh, look how we've done. Look how wonderful we are. Well, that's the wrong attitude as well, right? Because who deserves that praise? Me? No. The Lord does. Only the Lord. So we don't need to point out our good deeds. So, in what areas of our lives are we compromising like Lot has? The old saying, garbage in equals garbage out. When he goes into a garbage-filled environment, he is going to produce garbage in his own life. So what are we filling our, life, our thoughts and our lifestyle with? Here's a hands and feet application for you. If you are bold enough to analyze your life, here's a way that you can do it. Take a Christian friend out for dinner, maybe one of the elders. Take them out for dinner and walk through your day with them. Perhaps, if you're paying, you should take your pastor out too. Just kidding. I'm just teasing. I'm just kidding. You know, yeah. That's right, I'll come pick you up sometime, CJ, and we'll go out. All right, so walk through your day with them, okay? Maybe it's your week. Let's look at your routine from when you wake up to when you go to bed. Let's see how your week goes. When do you get into your Bible? How do you pray? And analyze some of the things that you do, okay, with this Christian brother or sister, and check out your weekly routine. How, are you, how many times are you getting in community with other believers? Allow them to ask you the tough questions. Where are the areas in your life that you can feel like you can improve? Where are some of the things that you are convicted on? I see this area here and here. What do you think about this? You could add this into your time slot. Have you ever thought about this while you're driving down the road? Uh, to be listening to your Bible, perhaps. So, where are the areas that you struggle with and don't give God the glory? Maybe it's when you're cleaning your house. Maybe it's when you're uh, taking down Christmas lights, right? Um, or other things. And how can we give God the glory in these things? For me, I always say it was cleaning calf pens. How can I give 
glory to God when you're cleaning up poop. It's possible because I've done it before and it's effective. And it gives you a generous spirit when you do these things. So come up with three areas that you can implement change in and in one month report back to that person via phone call or whatnot. This is the three areas that I've decided to work on. Here's where I've implemented the change. Um, here's where I still need to improve on. Here's where I haven't. Um, this encourages your mentor, your discipler, as well as yourself. And it spurs one another on that you're both going to pursue God in a mighty way, right? So don't lose hope when it comes to change. Yes, the Lord allows us to stray sometimes, but he also gives us the opportunity for hope. And I find this hope in verse 13. Does it have anything to do with Lot? Indirectly. Indirectly. It says, But one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abram the Hebrew and his allies. Did Lot escape? No. The Lord let him walk through the punishment of walking into Sodom. And he had to deal with that. But he let one of his servants escape and was able to report back. He gave Lot hope. Did he not? He pursues us whether we're pursuing him or not. He is a faithful God. That's who he is. Kind of like what we were saying this morning. When we are walking through life's insurrections, it's important to turn to Jesus for our protection and direction so we can reach our destination. Genesis 14, verses 14 through 16 is where hope is manifested. When Abram Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued Cador uh, Lamor's army until he caught up with them at Dan. So that's pretty far to the north. There, there he divided his men and attacked during the night. Cador Lamor's army fled, but Abram chased them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. Abram discovered all the goods that had been taken and he brought back to his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. I titled this point, Faith in Action. Now folks, this wasn't like pursuing them in a car. Okay, This is pursuing them over days. You had to catch up to them. They had to um, confront them at that night and then they continued to pursue them for at least a day or two after that till they got all their possessions back. This is quite the trek. This is quite the feat. And for the most part, Abram's family anyway, they didn't eat any of the provisions that were taken from Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, now some of the allies did, but not Abram. That was interesting. 318 trained men. These guys are looking at Abram's way of life and they want more. They see how the Lord's blessed him. They see how he walks with the Lord and they say, hey, I want that. I don't know how I'm going to get that, but I want that. And so they are born up under 
his way of life. They're his disciples. It's not necessarily they were born into his household. They were discipled into his household is a better way to put that. Um, it is not, uh, shoot, I can't remember the um, Hebrew name for disciple, but it's similar to. It's a different word, but it's very, very similar. So these are Abram's disciples. They want to know how to live like Abram. What would we say that would be time with? How do we do that? We need time with. I want to be discipled by you. You need to come spend some time with me. Okay? They want to build a relationship with the Lord like Abram. Well, that's 4K. Prayer, studying the word to know God, love extravagantly by loving God and loving others, and living a life of worship. That's how we make disciple makers here at White Rose. It's the same thing. It's been going on for years and years and years. It's nothing new under the sun. TW plus 4K times D3, we see three generations of that, equals a healthy disciple-making church, right? That's some of the things that we're going to be implementing here for too long. It's when we pause um, Genesis and we start looking at disciple-making more intentionally. But we also have this number, and we know that numbers in the Bible, they always have significant meaning, and I did a little bit of study on these. The number three has to do with new beginning. It has to do with life. It has to be with completeness, okay? Um, off with the old, on with the new. This is Kavanaugh. This is Colossians 3.23, life as worship. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. They are trying to set themselves apart for the Lord. We need to surround ourselves with people that are doing the same thing. Godly people, right? Who is God calling you to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships? I want you to think about that. Who is God calling you to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships? Is it one of your daughters? Is it a son? Is it a, your wife or your spouse, your husband? Who is God calling you? Maybe it's the neighbor down the street. Maybe it's somebody that you could walk with physically and spiritually. Maybe it's somebody that you already pursue on a daily basis as a friend, but God's calling you to add more Jesus in that relationship. A lot of times that's the easiest place to start, right? I enjoy our friendship. Can we involve more Jesus in it? I think we as White Rose have a hunger in our church to be more like Jesus. I can see it in your eyes. I can see it that there's an intention that I want to be more like Jesus. The question is, who among us are willing to step up and teach those that don't know? Who's willing to teach? Who's willing to share what it means to be a disciple? This is something I want to put in the back of your head that I want you to be praying about. Is God calling you to teach? If your first reaction is no, I can't do that. I'd never be able to get a teacher. So one, you never say never to the Lord. And two, when you have that reaction, you're reacting out of your own physical self and not out of God's spirit. 
Some of you may say, well, pastor, it's your job to teach us. And to some extent, I would agree with that. But I would say more specifically, it's my job to train teachers to teach others. And that's one thing that we do in the youth. And that's one thing that we want. I'm going to I want to start doing with a men's group here soon. Okay, so that's something that we need to be praying about. So others of you may say, well, I am not qualified. I am not qualified to do this. And some of you, that's true. Some of you guys need to get your act together and clean up some of your lifestyle. But generally speaking, we all have some place where we're working on, right? So you can't use that as an excuse as well. But I would challenge you with this. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. If God is calling you to teach, then you better start training because he's going to call you and then he will qualify you. How do, I, how do you know that? Well, that's how I started. I didn't necessarily know the Bible as well as I thought I did, but um, God allowed me to start teaching um, in my, at Bureau Township back when I was a sophomore in high school and started coming alongside some of my friends and we pulled a group of friends that wanted to know the Lord. We didn't have any adults that wanted to lead youth group. We still had youth group anyways. We used to have, um, there used to be a garage at Bureau Township and we'd go and there was a, a key on the refrigerator. We'd let ourselves into the church. We'd go have Bible study and then we'd go hang out. We did that on Wednesdays and we did that on Sunday nights. And that's how I learned my Bible. And we, there's a brief time in there I went to another church to, to learn, but then I came back and I taught the ones younger than me the Bible. Where do I start? You start with Jesus. Anybody can teach Jesus because he teaches himself in the, in the New Testament. So you just go with there. Remember, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Abram was ready to go because he was walking away from evil. He was already following the Lord and he was training young men to go with him. He was prepared before the disaster hit. He was prepared, and he prepared a group of men to go with him. Abram goes in the boldness that only the Lord gives. He, gives, he takes 318 men to fight an army, along with a few allies with him. And he wins so well that they continue to pursue them till they're all the way gone, and they got all the possessions back as well. It doesn't make any sense. How can 318 win against an army? Well, the battle belongs to the Lord. I don't fight my battles by myself. I fight them with the Lord. So he recovers all the stolen goods and much of the four oppressing kings' kingdoms, um, possessions as well. Now, where these people came from, they came from where Abram grew up. Okay, so you know the journey that he took and he first starts down about straight east of where they're settled now and then he goes up north on quite the journey and then they come back south. This is almost the route that he pursues. He, he, he stops up here in the north um, to get them. This is not an easy journey. He knows the journey and he is pursuing them to take back 
uh, what was belonged to the people. And now you have all these this possessions and things that you need to get back to the people um, for 318 men to carry. It's not going to be the easiest tag either. Was it because he was great and mighty? No, absolutely not. It's because the battle belonged to the Lord. He trusted the Lord that he was going to get back. It's because he trusted the Lord. So where is an area in your life that you need to trust the Lord more? What's the, what's the Lord putting on your mind right now that I need to work on this area specifically that you've said? Maybe you've had it on your mind for a while and the Lord's convicting your heart. You need to implement some changes either in your life or you need to come alongside a young man or a young woman that needs your um, direction more. And what about your hands and feet? Where can we implement this change today? Where's something that you can do to implement change? And maybe it's that coworker that you're struggling with earlier on that we were talking about. Maybe it's praying for them. What's the Lord call us to do? Pray for one another. Not only one another, but he calls us to pray for our enemies. Pastor Shane, why do you keep looking at me? Well, because I need to pray for my enemies as well, too, right? Why are they your enemy? Because they don't know. They're lost. They don't know. And we need to be that beacon of light to them. Because when we are walking through life's insurrection, it's important for us to turn to Jesus for our protection and direction so we can reach our destination. Let's continue on in verse 17 through 24 to finish off the chapter. It says, After Abram returned from his victory over Kedor Lamor and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva. That's the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Solom, and the priest of God most high, brought Abram some bread and wine. While Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord God most high, the creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or a sandal, a thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. I will accept only what my young warriors have already eaten, and I request that you give a fair share of the goods to my allies, Anor, Eshkol, and Mamre. Generosity. As we set the example, so we expect example out of others. The king of Sodom thought he was slick, right? What does he do first? Well, before we get into that, I, I noticed some things. 
that I wanted to point out from our study in Revelation. It's just a little side note, but I think it's really important. I want to show you a few things that popped out in my study in these verses. First, we have King Cador no more. Where is he from? Is he from the west, north, or south? No, he's from the east, right? What do we see in Revelation chapter 16, verse 12? It says, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. The kings from the east have always pursued and always attacked those from the west. It's nothing new under the sun. They've done it in Abram's time. They will do it. They've done it in our time, and they will do it in the end times. Okay? There's nothing new. This is the pattern we see. It's set in stone in the Bible, and it will continue to happen until the final time it happens. The river dries up, and we will know this is the end. Okay? This is the last time it's coming. Why? Well, I think because of this guy, Melchizedek. His name means my, my king is righteousness. Okay? Another way to say that is the priest of the Most High God. And in Hebrews chapter 7, his name, it says it means king of justice. Okay? All those go together. Justice, righteousness, and Most High God, they all go together. And where did he live? He lived in Salem. Well, what's the, the definition of Salem? It is peace. He's the king of peace and justice. Okay, he lives in the town of peace. Okay, This town is later renamed Jerusalem. Okay? that you'll find out. Revelation 16:12 proves there's nothing new under the sun because Satan is still up to his old tricks from the east attacking the west. The war against peace, righteousness, and justice is what he is pursuing, which is not correct. Now, we go back to the story that we find Abram in, and we see the king of Solomon uh, Sodom thinks he's pretty slick because he's going to get out there first. He sees him off in the distance. He's going to get out there first, and he is going to be the first to pat him on the back. Way to go, Abram. You are the man. And this is just my interpretation because we don't know this. All we know is that he uh, sees him first, and then he goes, and he's like, wow, look at you. That was, that was great. And Abram, I just kind of feel like he's like, shakes his hand respectfully and keeps walking. Because just behind him, he sees Melchizedek, right? The king, my king is righteous, the priest of the most high God, king of justice. So Abraham comes back from the battle victorious. He sees two come out, first the king of Sodom. And this is where Lot lived, right? He, has, he's got a, he probably has a relationship with the king somewhat, but he's soon found out that he doesn't want much of a relationship with this king. Abram was not impressed with this king and doesn't seem to be given much time of the day. The second was Melchizedek, and Melchizedek comes out with bread and wine. Right? This is a, an offering fit for a king. Melchizedek is saying, you deserve all the possessions. You deserve all 
the wealth that you got. It belongs to you since you went out and got it. Does Abram keep it? No, he doesn't. Right there, he gives a tenth of it. And I wanna, I'm not sure, but I would say he probably gives a tenth of everything to Melchizedek, right? Because he is the priest of the Most High God. What do we know of Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter 7? We find out that he is a high priest in the order, or Jesus is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, which means he's before the law, that it was already established that there is a, there's a king above all kings established before the law, which is, a, I could do a whole other sermon next week on. Um, I don't think I'm going to, but I could. So he brings him an offering fit for the king in verse 19 and 20. He says, blessed be Abraham, God, by God most high, creator of the heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. Look at the structure of blessing. Okay? This is very, very important and is a good model for us as we learn how to pray. Okay? So it's all praise is from God to Abraham. Melchizedek does not say my blessing to you. He says God's blessing to you. So God's blessing to you why? Because of what you've done, Abram? No, because what God has done for you. See how they removed Abram and Melchizedek from the equation and they put God in both places. That's a great prayer and is a great prayer structure. Okay? What's the prayer read like? Blessed be Abraham by God, most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. Is Abram willing to take that blessing? Absolutely, because he knows 318 can't take on an army. And that God did this. Right? So there's no indicator that King of Salem was even in the battle. So why would he even care? We don't even know if his possessions were taken. We don't know these things. Um, but I would submit that the priests of the Most High God recognized when God was working in someone. And Abram, who was a disciple of the Most High God, recognized when he was under authority of somebody who praised God like this priest did. Priest and king. Abram does some things that we can learn from here. First, Abram recognized the battle belongs to the Lord. Therefore, the victory belongs to the Lord as well. Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything won. And I don't know if that's the extras or the whole thing. I would guess it's probably the whole thing, which makes the king of Sodom a little nervous. He's like, oh, he does realize that this is all belongs to him. Just give us back our servants. He didn't have to give them back anything. But interesting. Abram was not captive to the possessions. He was captivated by the Lord his God, and he let it show. Abram then sets an example for us with the king of Sodom. Abram 
was not a self-made man. He was a God-made man. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give back my people who were captured, but you can keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Looking very generous in that offer, right? But technically, Abraham, Abram didn't have to give back either one of those because he went and got them for himself. He showed his might. He doesn't have to give them back, but he does. Abraham knew how wicked men work. He knew how wicked men worked. They work in IOUs and in guilt. Sounds like politicians today. And I, am, did you just call our politicians wicked? Yeah, I would say 80% to 90% are wicked men, right? That doesn't matter if they're Republican, Democrat, Independent. They are out to please themselves, unfortunately. And God's calling us to answer back. And we can do that in the polling place. We can do that in reaching out to our uh, representatives and let them know how we feel and give them examples of where we see this. He would not associate with them. Would not associate with them. And then he in turn asked the king of Sodom to be generous with Abram's allies. Do you think the king of Sodom would have given him anything? Do you notice how he could set that up? He set it up he could have went and said, I'm going to give a tenth to Melchizedek as a blessing to the Lord. I'm going to give 5% to each one of these allies of mine. Now I will give you the rest. No, he does not do that. He gives the king of Sodom the responsibility to be generous. Right? That is very interesting. That is a disciple maker, friends. I set the example for you to follow. Now I expect you to follow my example. D1 to D2 to D3. Do you see that? So you have generation one of Melchizedek, generation two of Abram, generation three of Sodom, the king of Sodom. And in that case, I think the king of Sodom listened. Many, many, many other cases, he does not. The point is this, when someone's trying to make you important, you need to reject it. What, what do you mean by that? The, the best example for me in this is the, after the baseball game or after the football game, you see the interview of the, that guy that makes the big play. There's one rolling around the internet of this pitcher he's a it's a college ball pitcher and he gets up to the interview after the game and they they're all excited to interview this kid because uh you find out that he hits the game winning home run and it was you know they needed a miracle and he gave them a miracle it's a walk-off home run just thought it was great and he goes up to um and says what were you thinking when, when that moment happened. And he says, what did you say to the coach? And he says, well, tell you the truth. I went to the coach and I said, um, coach, put me in. I can hit bombs. I can hit bombs. I can hit bombs. And he says, well, the truth is, coach, and uh, I never did tell you this, is 
They wouldn't let me hit in high school. I've never hit a bomb in my life. And he's like, what? You're just telling me that now? And it's like, well, it all worked out, didn't it? He's like, I can hit a bomb. I just don't. They didn't let me. They didn't let him in high school because he was such a good pitcher. They didn't let him bat. And so um, he gets up there. The coach finds out the truth after the home run, after the good deeds. He didn't know. And um, it looks, it shows you and it shows me got to be careful the accolades given because you don't know the experience behind him like this kid he didn't deserve any accolades because he had never hit a home run in his whole college career and barely in high school right don't let somebody puff you up to look good the glory belongs to the lord it's god's place alone the world will never understand that they will never, sideline reporters will never understand that. They want you to glorify yourself, to say that you're the amazing person that ever lived because that's what they're thinking. They want to validate their own thinking. They don't want to hear all praises be given to God and, and to my teammates. Now, as I praise God, I want you to praise my teammates. No, they keep coming back and they talk to the person about their own accolades. You ever seen that? Am I just talking crazy talk? I, I, can't, I can't stand watching end-of-game reports anymore because that's what they do. So when we walk through life's insurrections, it's important to turn to Jesus for our protection and direction so we can reach our destination. Don't let sideline reporters sideline you from your destination of heaven. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the freedom to express our word. Lord, we ask that you protect that freedom in our country. We protect, hand of protection for corruption in our government. Uh, hand, we ask that your hand of protection would be on us when we try to corrupt ourselves Lord, I pray that we would turn away from evil things and cast down our idols. Lord, we ask for clean hands and pure hearts. Let us not turn away from your ways, but let us pursue you passionately and pursue someone that's going to passionately pursue you as well. Those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Lord, thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. And as we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our path starting with our family don't let us miss the adventures you're sending our way to live and to speak the good news about jesus today draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for jesus like disciple making friendships especially this week by your word and spirit transform us into followers of jesus who love you who love people who make disciples who make more disciples Ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in the peace of the Lord. Amen.